out how to put the bomb together. Trinity is where they did the test. And there was they, they were hundreds of miles apart. We're talking with Janet Farrell Brody, the author of The First Atomic Bomb. And Janet, the uh, one, one of the things you say in your book, and I guess this is makes sense in retrospect, but the complexity of obtaining supplies for the atomic bomb uh, staggers the imagination. You, you, you made that comment in the book. Um, because oh, everything had to be top secret. You couldn't go directly to a supplier. What? Why was it so difficult? That's that's well. It was the secrecy. Everything had to be routed in ways that any potential spy or just nosy neighbors would suspect something. What was going on militarily at the Trinity site? So they they had to route. Um, all materials through, you know, which came from all over the U.S., through um, various railroad depots, through towns, through cities. They had to have fake addresses, fake names. It <laughs> was um, America was used to secrecy by this point of World War Two. But it was and the Manhattan Project was the biggest secret in American history. But it's it it was still very very complicated to deal with such levels of secrecy. And the the Trinity site and and you cited that as the the bomb site where they tested the the bomb that was uh, put you know with the conceived um, is open what once or twice a year to the public. Well, how does that work? <laughs> it's um it's part of the larger. Uh, missile base site in um, in central south central New Mexico. It's very near this beautiful new national park, the White Sands National Park. But you can't get into the actual Trinity site without this once or twice a year opening. You have to get um, it, and it's only open a few hours because it's part of the missile base. They're still doing a lot of testing there. So it's it's restricted. You know, you can go in, but it would probably be a uh, you know, a very closely observed visit, right? Exactly, exactly. You have to, um, we went a few years ago and we got there at, I don't know, 6 a.m. to wait in line. There were already 30 cars in line ahead of us and they opened the gates. They look at your driver's license. They look closely at you and then you can walk around a bit. There's nothing really to see um, except this quite beautiful desert. Um, mm -hmm. the, the army puts up, uh, it's, a there's a chain lake fence around the actual site. There's an obelisk that was put up, uh, 20, 30 years ago, commemorating the test, but it's, there's really very little to see. You, another thing in the book, we're talking with Janet Farrell Brody about her book, the first atomic bomb was uranium mining was all the rage. Uh, right after the war. I mean, obviously, we're in this new era, the atomic era. But you mentioned in the book, there were quite a few environments. These mines uh, that sprung up were, were, what, abandoned after a while or whatever. There were, there were environmental problems as a result, right? That's exactly right. Um, there was such a demand for uranium for the America's nuclear arsenal after the war. And so all over the West, but especially in New Mexico and quite um quite a number on 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 the Navajo reservations the Native American reservations and when demand for uranium 
Um, well, sometimes the mines just played out. There wasn't that much, but the tailings that were left, the mines were closed. Nobody paid. There weren't many laws about what to do with the remaining, the, the tailings, the, the remainder, and they just sit there. Um, they are, they're, they're seriously radioactive old mines all over the West, but especially in New Mexico. Hmm. Um, the, speaking of that, well, the first, in your book, you mentioned the first, well, you mentioned that the a bulletin of atomic scientists did a study, I think it came out really recently, 2019, that said the first victim of that first atomic explosion were American children. What, what What's that about? There's such controversy, um, ongoing controversy about the how much radiation remains from the Trinity test um, and and from the other tests that went on later in uh, in the West. And the downwinder populations have sued the government. They've sued um, to try to get some compensation. They had some success, um, but not the Trinity downwinders. The Trinity, the Trinity ranchers, the Trinity, um, the the Navajo reservation, the Apache reservation. Though there, there's a lot of lack of knowledge. Let me say a lot of um, a lot of concern about how much radiation they experienced after the test and for how long. Hmm. Uh, there were studies, there were dozens of studies over the decades of the residual radiation because it, the fallout blew in ways no one expected. You know, this was all very new. Right. Um, no, no one, they didn't, most of the scientists, a few expected radioactive fallout, but most did not. They weren't terribly worried. And they expected a more linear pattern of fallout right around where the test occurred. And in fact, they discovered later this, that radioactive uh, particles are carried far in unpredictable ways, um, and so, and so, there's been a lot of denial of the dangers of the radiation. And recently, um, there have been some very important scientific studies from um, about the effects, for example, infant mortality in the areas downwind of the Trinity test, infant mortality shot up kind of astonishingly in the few years after the test. These are studies by extremely reputable scientists um, and they're, they're published in, um, they're published in open, openly accessible material uh, uh, journals. So, we're talking with Janet Farrell Brody about the first atomic bomb, and you mentioned the, you know, the, the, because it was so new, uh, the, you know, something that was being, I guess, studied on the spot as as it exactly. happened. Um, exactly. The, the, the whole concept of fallout, um, that was, as you said, uh, some some expected it, some didn't. Um, so it's the fact that you know we're, we we now know these many years later. That we don't know exactly, but we know that it's dangerous. Um, that's that's probably a, a factor that uh, has to be looked at now, right? That's for sure. Um, and there, there, the just before the Trinity test itself, 
the scientists at the site conducted a a, a smaller preliminary test um, with just a little bit of plutonium in in the test, and they were shocked. It's called the hundred ton test. They just they were shocked at the um, at some of the findings from that small test, namely that the more radioactive particles were the tinier ones uh, mm. which weren't and and that and they there was also they so uh there were some findings of great surprise from this 100 ton test but very shortly thereafter the trinity test took place and um everything was everything was rushed as soon as the test was a success the ship carrying the bomb parts sailed for to, to create the bomb on Tinian Island outside of Japan. So it wasn't as though there was a lot of time for the scientists to really deeply study the fallout, right. but they were, many of them were quite sh- surprised and shocked at um, what they found, that there was much more radioactive fallout than they'd expected and that it was, it fell in unpredictable ways. There's a the movie Oppenheimer, and of course, if people are listening to this after the movie is released, uh, they'll have their own thoughts about the movie and everything else. But in your mind, with your research, what was Oppenheimer's greatest achievement? Obviously, you know he's credited, you know, for for shepherding this whole project. But in your mind, what was his? What were the? What what did he bring to this project that that made it uh, so successful? Or I, I guess right. when you say successful, right. you're like, oh boy, right. we, right. we got well, what we wish for, unfortunately. That's right. <laughs> um, General Groves was just considered kind of a nut to have appointed, to found Oppenheimer and appointed him to such a position of power in overseeing this whole project to put an atomic bomb together. But Oppenheimer was... He was intellectual. He was interested in poetry. He spoke many languages. He was somewhat effete. He was a brilliant um, overseer. Of, of of he had to deal with complicated scientists and temperamental. He had to deal with incredibly complicated logistical problems, scientific problems, mathematical. He he was truly a genius. He put it, he held it together. He put it together. Um, And then, of course, in the post-war period, he had a lot of, he attracted a lot of American enemies because of his um, attempts to reign control over the bomb. Mm -hmm. So um, he was, I I guess, in some circles, would make him heroic. In, in, In many ways, if you, if you say, um we, the country we wanted to end the war and we wanted to end the war without sending tens of thousands of american soldiers into japan mm-hmm. um the bomb was a heroic achievement it's also a nightmare um right. that we've lived with ever since so have you ever contemplated janet had the had the thing failed and you know i mean imagine like anything else the work would have gone on. I don't know how the war would have been executed at that point because invasion right. would have been very costly uh, in right. both manpower and, and dollars. But uh, I guess the the military or the uh, 
research would have continued you know, once it started. I mean, there was no turning that off. Um, yeah, as you say, it was rushed uh, to, to meet the war schedule, but certainly went on and other countries then followed suit um, post, post-World War II. That's that's a very interesting and important thought. Um, if the bomb had failed in and had not been dropped in Japan, I don't. I agree with you. It would not have stopped research. That we would have just dropped the first American test bombs in the Pacific, which is what we immediately did after the war. Right. So, you, um, you have um, fascinating. We're talking with Janet uh, Jennifer Brody about her book, The First Atomic Bomb, and. Uh, Operation Paperclip. I love these names they come up with. <laughs> uh, that's a fascinating thing because that involves German technology. What, what was Absolutely. that about? <laughs> that That's such an amazing story, and there are some really great books uh, and articles about it. Americans brought um, Nazi, uh, powerful, smart scientists from Nazi Germany, some of whom did not go through the denazification process at all, brought them to the U.S. Some of them were brought to an area just right outside the Trinity test. And they helped Americans put together um, put together bombs. And also they then went to the East Coast and worked on um, some of the chemical and biological warfare that America was involved in. And they became major, major and beloved scientists for the uh, rocket program, uh, NASA. It's right. pretty controversial. It's pretty, it's pretty controversial what, uh, how secret, how secretly they were brought um, and how they were, they were treated well Um and I think uh, I think their role in the biological and chemical warfare programs that America was engaged in, that role has not been very deeply researched yet. Sounds like another movie, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Christopher That's... Nolan's probably listening right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there, there we go. Um, you, you know, because reading your book, it was fascinating to me because they, they – the United States, and it makes sense when you look back on it, that the U.S. would go after, hey, what, what are these rockets that Germany's firing over London and, and Antwerp exactly. and places? Oh, let's get our hands on that. And and they did. They got the components yes. of those rockets, and, they, and then they got the people who made them. Um, but it's it's fascinating that they whisk, whisked all that over to the United States and put those guys to work. You know, hey, we, we need that work here. That's um, right. What And I, I don't know that this was the, the focus of your book. But I, I have to ask, you know, I'm thinking something you mentioned, the great secrecy that uh, cloaked the project, which which is, you know, understandable given the war and and what was involved. But what about the military coordination? Was was there a lot of infighting that, that you came across? I mean, the Navy got involved. I saw that part <laughs> in your book uh, people would probably think the Navy has the Navy get involved with that. But, you know, the, the armed forces are always tussling. For, for, you know, to, to be get this, to get that. I'm just wondering how that shaped up um, when it came to a bomb. Yeah, that's a really good question. There was, of course, well, of course, there was a lot of jostling and, and jealousy and, and fighting for money. And um, the Navy was able to get involved. They were, um, 
They were part of Los Alamos. They were part of the Trinity site. They were, uh, they, they desperately after the war began to jockey for funding for nuclear submarines, um, sure. nuclear yeah. weapons on. And then the Air Force became a separate in, institution after the war. Um, so uh, there was a lot of jockeying. And, and at a certain point, <laughs> I can't remember now, which somebody, uh, one of the high generals said, okay, um, you guys have to get along and here's, you, you just have got to stop squabbling. We've got, we've got to win this war, but yeah. the rec- uh, that would be a good story. It would be a good, a, a good deeper history to look. Um, I, I skimmed the surface on that, just the, the military quarrels and then the ways that the military did work together. Um, yeah. I mean, but, when, when could understandably think, my God, there's probably, well, a hundred books uh, regarding <laughs> what, what all goes down in, in, in military uh, back back rooms, you know, in, yep. when it comes to weapons. Um, Janet, what's what's going to be your take on this movie? Are you planning on uh, analyzing it, reviewing it? Have you you probably haven't seen it yet, right? I mean, it's not out. No, coming it's up. just coming out. We uh, we have we have tickets to go. Um, it's it's a. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so. Sure. It's a big You're deal. You're right there here. in the oh. epicenter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the strike, you know, the actor strike, the writer strike, and then this movie coming out. Um, it's uh, of course I'm going. I and I, I I think it will be very interesting. Um, very interesting. I, I heard on the radio this morning, Chicago radio, that uh, they said how how funny that uh, the the big release. Well, I guess Mission Impossible may be the big release. Um, because it's it's always been popular, but that this week you've got the two movies uh, so different that are coming out: Barbie and Oppenheimer. You know, how, how does that work? <laughs> Maybe it's see kind them together of or what? I don't know how um, we work with that. But uh, there you calling, go. Yeah. The Atomic Age calling. meets Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Barbenheimer, they're joking. Yeah, there we go. Well, maybe that's the one job that Barbie hasn't got yet, atomic scientist. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe she has. I have to check that. I have to ask my granddaughter if she's heard that. So we'll find yes, out. I, I feel for Christopher Nolan that he his big blockbuster serious movie has to deal with come the same day that Barbie right. comes out. But I think there is going to be a lot of interest, in, and certainly your book uh, brings out uh, so many fascinating uh, facets of that. Uh, as you say, just whether you want to call it good, bad, or or you know, it, it's monumental, is what it was. The the work that went on, and you document so well in First Atomic Bomb. Janet, we thank you so much for your time, and uh, as an add-on, thank you for your patience and <laughs> us completing our interview. It, it took several efforts, but we just like the atomic bomb, we got it done. So there you go. Thank you very much indeed. Okay. Take care now. Bye. Bye bye.